You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Monica Bay. We've been writing about law and technology for more than 30 years. That's right. During that time, we've witnessed many changes and innovations. Technology is improving the practice of law, helping lawyers deliver their services faster and cheaper. Which benefits not only lawyers and their clients, but everyone. And moves us closer to the goal of access to justice for all. Tune in every month as we explore the new legal technology and the people behind the tech here on Law Technology Now. Welcome to Law Technology Now. I'm Monica Bay. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Thomson Reuters Westlaw Edge. Our guest today is Christy Burke. Christy and I have known each other for many, many, many years. Let's start by having you talk to us about how you grew up with a tech family and why and how you decided to create your own company. Thanks, Monica. Uh, It's great to be here with you. I think I was always destined to have my own business, actually. Um, Even when I was a kid, I did babysitting. I did dog walking. Um, In my 20s, I incorporated a company called CKB Dynamics, which was a catering company. I did parties and showers and everything. So I always wanted to make my own money. I always wanted to have my own company. And uh, it was kind of a natural thing uh, because I was actually born into an entrepreneurial family. Um, When I was actually born, my dad worked for IBM at the time. And then he left to start his own business in computer leasing with my mom. My parents had a computer leasing company for several years, and then they founded World Software Corporation, which eventually produced a DMS called Worldbox, which is still on the market today. And I worked at their businesses in the summertime and on holidays, and their head programmer actually taught me my basic computer skills, and I started taking computer courses at school starting in seventh grade. So how I started my own business is kind of a, a little more roundabout than that. After college, I did a variety of things. I taught English in Hungary. I worked for an insurance company. I worked for a publishing company, all sort of in, you know, relative like marketing and sales and PR. And then I came to New York and I was, you know, I was working for an advertising agency on Bluetooth technology when it was first getting started. And everyone was like, what is this Bluetooth thing? Nobody knew what it was. So it it sort of uh, tells you where I was at in the evolution of technology. And then I went to work at Worldbox, actually. For four years, I ran their marketing, their PR, and their reseller channel. And I worked on integrations with other software vendors. And I got to learn about legal software, legal technology. And I really drilled down. I wanted to learn everything about the technology. It was fascinated me from a conceptual standpoint, what it was capable of doing. And, you know, since I represented the company at a lot of trade shows and conferences, I traveled to meet the bars in their various offices, and I got to know a lot of people. I got to know a lot of the editors like you, Monica. We worked together closely for many years. And when I decided to hang out my own shingle, I just my business kind of just popped up and started itself. I always say I was not necessarily a conscious decision, but I all of a sudden I found that I had clients. And uh, people that had known me for years, they contacted me. They wanted me to do projects for them. And um, I just started working. I did anything that people asked me to do, marketing, PR, events, trade shows, you name it. 
I just didn't say no to anything. And I just started working a company back then. And it's been almost 14 years now. So it's been a really good run. What brought you into focusing on legal and tech? I assume that most of your work was with the legal community. What brought you to that? Well, I think, you know, having had sort of a varied background in technology, and I went to a liberal arts college called Connecticut College, where I double majored in English and sociology. So I I mostly focused on the humanities, you know, in my undergraduate education. But everyone always told me that they thought I should be a lawyer. Even when I was a kid, I took a class called So You Think You Want to Be a Lawyer. And, you know, I was always arguing every last thing with my poor parents and my sisters and everybody else. (laughs) I even argued with my teachers to get them to change my grades sometimes. And sometimes (laughs) they would, sometimes not. (laughs) But um, I, you know, I think I have this natural affinity for the law. I have great respect for justice and access to justice. I never became a lawyer myself. A lot of my friends are lawyers. And so I think it was a natural fit getting into this niche of legal technology when I worked at WorldDocs. That's sort of when I discovered this whole world, which to tell you the truth, I didn't really know existed before. And I think a lot of people don't believe that it really exists. You know, I I tell my friends there's an entire there are entire trade shows of legal technology companies that are marketing to law firms and and they say no really they can't believe this is true but you know to me it's become my home the legal tech industry you know when I go to conferences like legal tech when I go to ILTA ABA tech show you know these people are are like my extended family and uh, I really I have great respect for you know the intelligent people and the creativity. And I just think I found my home and I feel very lucky to have found it. So as you watched through, as I did too, how tech originally for lawyers, they were like, oh, yeah, right. And then Mm -hmm. it's grown and grown and grown and grown. What made you decide to focus more on those areas than the broader ones? What kept you into those two areas? Well, I think, you know, I actually... I like flexibility. I like change. I like a variety of things. And I think, you know, now lawyers are discovering technology more and more. And I've seen it from the challenge side, which is the legal technology, the software providers and the services providers that were struggling to educate, that were struggling to get, you know, the technology tools purchased and used. Now that there's a nice renaissance in legal tech, I think, you know, in part motivated by the corporate legal operations movement, which is applying a lot of pressure on law firms to be more efficient. But I think naturally efficiency in any profession is something that I really appreciate because I don't really think anything should take any longer than it needs to take. And, you know, why not do something quickly and successfully rather than making it long and drawn out and less productive for everybody. In the last 10 years, it seems like paper is gone and so much stuff is now online. The way that people are working are often together. And you were telling me recently that you have become part of the Legal Technology Media Group. And it's the folks that you've talked about are some folks that have been around the legal arena quite a bit. Tell us a little bit about what that is and how that works for you. Yes, I am thrilled to have recently joined the Legal Technology Media Group. We call it the LTMG Collective. And it's something that was started by Chelsea Lambert and Kathy Kenton, who are two ladies I know that you know and and I admire and like a whole lot. 
the collective is a group of professionals, including myself, Kathy, Chelsea, and also Jared Correa, who is with Red Cave. He's a lawyer. And we are basically, we still run our own companies independently, and we have clients outside of the LTMG umbrella, all of us. But our idea was to provide a turnkey solution for clients that would need a variety of different things. Because I think what I've seen is that marketing and outreach communications has become so challenging recently and so competitive, much more so than I would say even five, 10 years ago, that clients really need to think bigger when it comes to their outreach to potential customers in the media. So the four of us together right now, that's the collective. And we are, you know, we're referring business to each other. We're working on some education things together. We have a blog on the website, which is legaltechmg.com. And we are really working to try to transform the experience of marketing for legal tech vendors because we believe strongly that one approach, a one-pronged approach is not enough. Really, they need to be thinking on a number of different fronts and trying to be as out front and ubiquitous as possible. So that's kind of the background. Christy, I'm sure you and I feel the same way on some of this stuff, which is that especially big law and even the small law and some of the other folks, they just do not know how to sell their stuff. I mean, it's just amazing how they don't understand how to tell it to the people who will want them. Why is that there and what do you do for that? Well, you're right, Monica. What I've seen is that both legal tech companies and law firms seem to expect prospective customers to know why they're great, to come out of the woodwork without a lot of effort and to just, you know, buy the product right off the bat. That is not going to happen in most cases. In my experience, there are very few bluebirds, which are unsolicited lucky breaks that come your way. Really, marketing and communications is hard work. And as far as press coverage is concerned, you know, 99% of press coverage comes from intentional placement via pitching, press releases, contributed content. You very seldom get that mythical phone call from a reporter saying, I've heard your solution is great, or I've heard your software is great, or I've heard your law firm is great. Tell me about that. It's just not a very commonplace thing in my experience to happen. So I think that there's no way to shortcut this. You know, law firms, if they want to hire the people to do this kind of work, if they want to hire their own Marcom people, that's great. If they want to use agencies to do it yourself technique, especially when you have a bunch of lawyers or, you know, or technologists that don't know how to market, it's really not a very productive way. And if you get a slow start, it's very hard to develop momentum and it's very hard to develop traction and adoption of what you're doing. So really, like from the beginning, I think, they need to drop any entitlement that they have or any expectation that, you know, if they build it, people will come. As the field of dreams, quote, goes, they have to do the work. They have to move the ball down the field. They have to get the word out there. And I'm not just talking press releases. I'm talking social media. I'm talking website. I'm talking, you know, email marketing. There are so many different things that need to be considered. and it, You know, if you do it on the cheap and if you don't pay attention to it, you get what you pay for, which is not enough sometimes to compete with the people that are on top of it. Quickly, what would you say are the most 
obvious one or two mistakes that everybody makes? I think complacency is a big mistake. You know, like I was mentioning, sort of expecting business to come in the door. That's a disaster. I also think misrepresentation is a big mistake as well. So exaggerating what you're doing, trying to pull a fast one, trying to denigrate competitors, not good in the long run. I think they may get some short-term wins, but let's face it, this is a very sophisticated market. You know, the buyers are very sophisticated, particularly in legal tech. If you try to sell via smoke and mirrors and the product bombs out, then nobody's happy. So I think honesty is a very good policy. Excellent. Well, before we go on, we want to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsor. Thomson Reuters Westlaw Edge is the most intelligent legal research platform ever. Powered by state-of-the-art artificial intelligence, Westlaw Edge delivers the fastest answers and the most valuable insights, providing you with a clear strategic advantage. The advanced features on Westlaw Edge allow legal professionals to practice with a greater degree of certainty and confidence never before available. Visit westlawedge.com to learn more. And we are back. How does your work change over the last 20 years? And what do you predict in 2020? The media has changed completely in the last 20 years. I was thinking back, and I remembered a publication called Law Office Computing, which went defunct several years ago. You've gone along with many other legal tech titles. You know, there were a lot more publications that were covering the industry for a while there, and you know, the, the landscape has changed. So it's really nearly impossible to get certain kinds of stories told, like, for example, the case study, which used to be a mainstay of explaining how products were purchased and chosen and implemented. You can almost not get a case study approved by any law firm anymore. It's almost impossible to do. I've been doing PR and legal tech for 18 years. There was a time when it was easier to get more placements on medium interest stories like your partnerships, executive hires, integrations. And stories have to be stronger now to qualify for press coverage. For example, a new company debuting or a new product, mergers and acquisitions, funding, or a new CEO. These are the strongest horses that will survive. So we're, we're living in a very Darwinistic time. Social media and blogs have become just as important, if not more so, than magazines and journals. And I'll say that the good news is that publications need content. You know, they're hungry for content and they're accepting more contributed articles, which provides an opportunity for lawyers and legal tech vendors to show their expertise and to build their brands by contributing pieces to these publications. Now, I believe this trend is going to only continue and escalate in 2020. There's going to be further trimming and consolidation of the traditional media greater competition for press coverage, and even more of an onus on the vendor to do its own publishing and activity. That sounds really great. So here's another question. You have a wonderful young child. What surprises have you encountered? (laughs) Yes, I do. I have a daughter who's four and a half years old. And I will honestly say that everything I was afraid of happening um, when I became a parent did actually happen. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't sleep through the night for the first four years because my daughter was not a good sleeper. My social life took a total nosedive, and I spent much more time at home and 
last but not least, last summer we took the big plunge and moved to the New Jersey suburbs, which is something I never would have expected, although I'm, <laughs> I'm actually from New Jersey originally. <laughs> but I would say what surprised me most was the huge upside of having a child. And I think like all parents, I think my daughter is the most amazing creature that ever walked the earth. And she, we love each other beyond measure. We travel together. She comes on business trips with me. You know, I sneak her into the exhibit hall. My clients know who she is. And I'm proud to, you know, show her that you can be a working mom, but you can also be a baker and a chef and make crafts and, and do all the other things. So, you know, I think I'm surprising myself in the process of, of being a parent to her and she really believes that she can be anything she wants. Right now, she wants to be an astronaut and a ballerina, both. So we'll see if she has enough time to accomplish that. But, you know, as a parent, I feel like I have the greatest responsibility I've ever had in my entire life. But on the other hand, I get to be a kid again and experience things through my daughter's eyes. So I think it's a real win. I, I love it. Well, I'm very happy for you. And it's just delightful. Thank you. So one last question for you. What advice would you give legal tech companies and lawyers? I would say know who you are, but be flexible enough to reinvent yourself and not just once, but several times throughout your career. So when you start your business or your practice, you'll be at a certain place in your life and your expertise, but that will change, that will grow, and your business will also change and grow. And as I was just talking about with the media, conditions around you will be shifting as well. So it's not just you that's changing. I would say for legal tech companies, they need to be in it for the long haul. You know, from my experience, it's a very long sales cycle in legal. So it can sometimes take years to make a sale and there has to be the patience to wait that out and to keep following up and, and stay with it. But there also has to be a lot more outreach going on to get that funnel down to the sales. So it's really not like you approach one law firm and they become your customer. You know, that's basic sales theory, but, you know, you have, they have to really go all out in contacting as many ways as they can, as many people as they can in order to get the business, which I believe is out there. And that's the bright side. There's a ton of business out there. And many more law firms are getting their feet wet with technology and getting, you know, motivated to, to take it on. So I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. Lawyers must invest in their own intellectual property and their greatest asset, which is themselves. I think each lawyer represents a definite value proposition that's unique. And there are potential and current clients that are going to benefit from each lawyer's particular skills and abilities and backgrounds. So the attorneys that lean in on learning technology, creating social media and online presence for themselves, and learn to differentiate themselves from other competitors. Those are the ones that are going to do the best. Well, with that point, I would love to have you tell our audience, if they want to reach you, how can they do that? Certainly. Thank you, Monica. So you can visit me on the web, which is www.burke-company.com. Company, the whole word is spelled out. And on Twitter, my Twitter handle is Christy Burke PR. And I also have a LinkedIn company page and a LinkedIn profile. I'd be happy to have you as a new connection. Terrific. Well, thank you. You were absolutely wonderful. And I'm so grateful that you had took the time to speak with us. Was there anything else that you wanted to say before we say goodbye? I just want to say thank you, Monica. You have been such a hero for me for so many years and a dear friend. And 
I think the world of you, and I really appreciate the chance to come on the show and speak with you today. Oh, I'm very pleasant. It goes right back at you, too. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This has been another edition of Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. If you like what you heard today, please rate us at Apple Podcasts. Join us in the next edition of Law Technology Now. I am Monica Bay, signing off. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.